The bottom issue, the main issue that we're about today and about the next 21 days is the issue of seeking the Lord. It's, there's, there's no grandiose title that can just state the obvious. Seeking God. We would like to think that we all seek the Lord every day. And, and I believe a lot of us here at Northridge do that. But I also know that how much I battle with it, I'm sure you battle the same battles that I battle too. I also am aware of my flesh always competing, trying to get me to make my prayer time shorter or to maybe just hurry past my reading or, you know, do it without engaging in it. And so throughout the course of a year, you may find yourself becoming uh, faithful in your pursuit, but a little numb at the same time. So seeking the Lord in Isaiah 55 and verse 6, the verse says, Seek the Lord while, he, while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. This verse, as I've just captured it, and we're going to look at it in a greater extent in a minute, is happening in the context of judgment that's about to fall upon the nation of Israel. And so he says, seek the Lord now while you can. Because there's a time coming, and we know that to be the Babylonian army, where you won't be able to. Now we're under a different, we're under, a, we're under the new covenant, and I'm grateful for that. But it's the same God, and I believe he requires the same diligence in seeking him from his people. So seek the Lord while you can find Him and call on Him now while He is near. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 29, the Bible says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. The whole idea here is that we have to seek the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul no matter where God is taking us. If God is calling us to go somewhere, or if God and God is calling us to stay where we are, we have to seek God with all our heart and all our soul. These are what's required. In Isaiah 55, 6 again, we have that word seek. Seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. So, I am grateful that under the new covenant of grace, God does not remove his Holy Spirit from us. David had to pray that. We don't have to pray that. But we also know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we're admonished not to. We're also admonished not to quench the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we do that? What kind of Christian would set out in their day, wake up and say, today I think I'm going to grieve the Holy Spirit? Today, my duty is to quench the Holy Spirit in my nobody, nobody sets out to do that. But then you get back at the end of your day and you wonder, what happened? How did, how did I say that or do that or think that or get into this situation? Some of it can only be answered with the fact that we're all human and we're all very, very flawed. Not a single one of us, no matter how young or how old or how studied or, or how... Uh, practically wise is immune from the flaw of sin. 
Hosea 10 and 12 says, For now is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and shower righteousness upon you. And I think what we see here in Hosea, which is relating back to Isaiah, is this, is this notion that seeking the Lord is imminent. It should always be imminent in our life. Um, I, I would think of it this way. You ever, sometimes we've used the expression, well, I've just been able to kind of cruise lately. My, you know, the work's caught up. The grass has been mowed. Uh, it's kind of dry out, so it's not growing back fast. Um, there's not a lot of demands. I think I'm just going to cruise for a while. You better not. Not, not in your spiritual walk with the Lord, not in this world, not with the enemy that is looking to destroy you. Okay? Now. Now it's time. But God wants to come and shower righteousness upon you. <clears throat> so what does seek mean? In Deuteronomy 4, in Isaiah 55, the verses we read, seek implies, now this is important, an anxious, diligent, persevering application of one's whole energy to seeking the Lord. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Does that describe us collectively? Even if you're a visitor here and you're just passing through, but you're a part of the kingdom of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ, this applies to you. We're all in this together. In Hosea 10, it means to earnestly try to encounter the presence of a deity. That's the word. I could go into the Hebrew, but it's really what it sounds like. So, All of these verses that we've read, these verses here, All of those verses have conditions on how the seeking should be done and how long the seeking should last. Our focal passage, for example, in Isaiah 55, 6 says, while he is near. Seek the Lord while he's near. Well, first, we have to bring ourselves up to speed that this, we're talking Old Testament, we're talking Old Covenant, um, and the Lord was talking specifically to, to Israel. They were in a lot of trouble because of idolatry that had seeped into their lives. And he's, and he's bringing judgment on them. And he's giving them fair warning. The Lord, the Bible says the Lord doesn't do anything except he doesn't first reveal it by his, to his prophets. And they are talking. So in their case, seek him while he is near is, means before Babylon gets here. But for us, how do, we, how do we bring that in under the new covenant? I like what Matthew Poole wrote on this. He says, Near to you by his gracious presence and offers in his ordinances ready and desirous to receive you to mercy upon the following conditions. And of course, we're going to see those conditions in a minute. I don't think they change just because we're under the new covenant. But his gracious presence for us is always ready. 
You don't have to beg for God's attention. Think on that. Yeah, I know that a lot of us carry around a lot of guilt about past mistakes as we've performed as Christians. And we think, oh man, the Lord has really got to be pretty impatient with me by now. And then you think, man, if there's anyone in the world that could exhaust His grace, it's me. But He's near to the brokenhearted. He's drawn to brokenness. To seek God is to, is to get to the end of yourself where you're done. Oh, and by the way, I just want to say this. Just because you're seeking God does not mean that you're going to suddenly become a perfect Christian that can walk across the water. It doesn't mean your life is going to be void of problems and have less issues. You're probably going to have more. And, and those problems are going to be so extensive and complex that you realize your only hope is in His mercy. And you flee to that place. All of these verses have the conditions. And so, turn with me to Second Chronicles 12. Reading through Kings and Chronicles, which is just a reiteration of Kings, we get to see living examples of what not to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we're dealing with Rehoboam. Rehoboam was Solomon's son that assumed his throne. And when he did, he decided to be really egotistical about it and threaten the people with more labor. Well, they divided. Thus the kingdom was divided, thus fulfilling the punishment that God brought upon David for the sins of Bathsheba. Well, it goes back to Bathsheba, and then Absalom is part of that and all of that. But here's what happened. Rehoboam was a very proud man. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. I think that's a very descriptive verse for what we get into sometimes. When he got successful, when he reached a certain point of physical comforts and and strength, he didn't need God's help anymore. Do you know anyone like that? Have you ever done that? And you know, nobody would say, I'm going to sit out to just use God. But you'll find that attitude seeping in on you. When you seek the Lord, though, the beauty of it is your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is heightened to the degree that when it first shows up, you're like, ooh, where'd that come from? He strengthened himself and he forsook the law of the Lord. And notice what else. And, and all Israel along with him and all your kids, your friends. See, so who you lead, who you impact, whether passively or actively, they're going to, they're going to hurt because of you. Well, in verse 12, 
Actually, I'm going to read through this. And so it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. So anytime, it seems in the Old Testament, when they get wrong, God sends, a, God sends an enemy. With 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came, without, with, or who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim, the Sukkim, and the Ethiopians. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. And there he is in Jerusalem. There's Rehoboam in Jerusalem. The temple is there. He's there. They've got God on their side because they have the temple and they have the ark and they're great. Okay, just remember that. And so then Shemaiah, the prophet, came to Rehoboam and, and the leaders of Judah and were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak. That's why they were gathered together. They were in trouble. Okay. And it says, you have forsaken me and therefore... I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. Oh, no. You want to do it your way. You wanted to press on without me. You wanted to introduce pride and arrogance and idolatry to these things. So here it is. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves and they said, The Lord's righteous. That's a good answer. And now when the Lord saw... Notice this part, verse 7. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, They have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them. But this next part, this next part's worth worth mention. But I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. That terrifies me. That part, right there. I'm more afraid of my failings than I am of anyone else. I can second guess myself to the point of being completely uh, rendered completely inoperative. I can have paralysis by analysis. But then I fear, and my fear for doing that is I fear like I'm becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Then I think I'm gaslighting myself. And then, well, they have places for those folks to go. Okay? But I get literally terrified of falling into the hands of my God because of willful disobedience. And yet there are some things that's so hard and so difficult, you don't know what to do. But then there's something else in here that we can't miss. Mercy. Go back up. They have humbled themselves. Therefore I will not destroy them. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions never fail. Jesus said, I will never leave you. Ever. And when we're unfaithful, He remains faithful. And then that's when you begin to understand that you don't have the strength, the ability, or knowledge, or wisdom, or perfection enough to live life solo. You never reach a point in your Christian life where you have arrived to a point where you can cruise or where you can elevate. Pride goes before the fall. And the scripture says in the New Testament... God resists the proud. 
But even Christians can be proud. We all here can be proud. Okay? And I'm glad and thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the promise of sanctification that what He started in us, He will complete. So that means... I don't have to worry about him breaking his Holy Spirit for me. I don't have to worry about him going, well, I'm going to deliver you to a degree. Because of Jesus, he's going to deliver me perfectly. And in that, he's going to conform me to the image of Christ. But first, I have to stop. And that's the lesson that we get here. Because of time, I'm going to go to verse 12. It says, when Rehoboam humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him. So as not to destroy him completely. And things also went well in Judah. I like that. You mean when they started getting things right with God, things went well. That's what I'm getting from it. Okay. I don't think that's complex. In verse 14. I'm going to read 13. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city which the Lord had chosen out, all of the tribes of Israel, to put his name there. His mother's name was Nama, and Ammonitus, that's a problem. That's, that's dad's problem. But, and it says, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Now we have something new. We, he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And I love what Matthew Henry said here. Near, near, near the temple, near the temple, but far from God. You ever thought about the people, the vast amount of people that visit churches every Sunday that sat under the preaching of the Word of God near, near the Scripture, but far from God? What's the one thing that God was attracted to in Rehoboam that he demonstrated? Humility. He humbled himself. And the reason he, he, he slipped so badly, because he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. This 21 days is about preparing your heart to seek the Lord. That's what today is anyway. And as you go into it, it's like a merge. You're going to spend the first week probably just getting your head wrapped around what's happening. Because So is it a total fast? No. It's what I would call a modified partial fast. I, I, we don't tell you what to do. Mine is... I'll just tell you, mine is, uh, I can't eat after 12. I can't eat, and I don't eat breads hardly anyway, but no breads, no sweets, no chips, no anything, just meat and vegetables. Everything's mushy, but, you know, and, and no social media, no YouTube, no news. All of that is, is forced onto Prayer and seeking the Lord. Every hunger, pain, every desire to look at anything different is turned to Scripture. And it's tough. It's, it's hard. I, I, I generally lose a lot of weight doing it. Because it's it, my, just the way my body works. So it's not like it's an easy thing for me. In fact, I'm like, golly. There I go again. Whatever the Lord may call you to do, I just bring that up to say, that's my combination of things. What is your combination of things? Have you thought about it? Have you thought about what you're going to do to afflict your soul?
Where do you turn for comforts? Where, where do you go for chilling out and just cruising and putting your mind in neutral? What do you do? Oh, these are the questions. How do you prepare your heart to seek the Lord? So here's the requirements that we mentioned earlier about seeking the Lord in Isaiah 55, 6. Now we have what the requirements are in Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked change their ways. That seems self-evident. Okay, if you're doing anything bad, stop. Okay, I think that's that Bob, that new heart uh, psychiatry thing that we used to the video. Well, I'm doing this and this. Well, stop it. Okay, but change, change your ways. Change what you're doing. Banish, it says, the very thought of doing wrong. Just when you're entertaining a thought of wrong, just banish it. We don't go around anymore saying to somebody, you're banished. What if the college professor, upon the fourth tardy, said to the college student, sorry, you can't come in here, you're banished. You're, where do I go? You go to the outer reaches. Okay, you're banished. So you banish this thought process. Do you know how hard that is to do? Okay, it's, you don't, it's not like once and done. Oh, I banished stuff yesterday. I'm good today. No, you're going to banish all the time. Banish the very thought of doing wrong. And then it says, let the wicked turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. So you get the idea that God desires to have mercy. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive. What's the word used? Generously. Man, he's something, okay? Hosea 10, 12 and verse A of that. You say there's no verse A, it's the first part. So it says for yourselves righteousness. Do stuff that is pleasing to the Lord. So, you know, send a verse to somebody Okay, I have a tendency to want to get on the news and talk politics, so instead I'm going to send a verse of good stuff to brother so-and-so. Instead, ha, take that flesh, okay, (laughs) you know, Um, reap. Now, suddenly something's changed, reap in mercy. As we begin to align ourselves with the Lord in obedience, he forgives generously. I'm sorry, he, we reap in mercy. He, gives, he extends mercy. And then it says, lastly, break up the fallow ground of your heart. Break it up. Break up. I, 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 every time I read this text, you, half of you won't understand what I'm saying, but I've talked about it a lot before. It's a, this is a big ox subsolar ripper going into a hard field with big shanks this long and big clods of hard dirt being pulled up so it'll take in the rain. I've done that, and it's slow going, and it's hard, and it takes a lot of fuel. Even the tractor hates you, okay? But it's necessary to get that field opened up to take in the water. And Luke 6, 45 reminded me, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Where do we start? Pay attention to what you're talking about. I think there should be desperation in seeking the Lord. Amen? 
In all the verses listed, the people of Israel had found, it, had found themselves estranged from God and facing the warning that they would end up in foreign lands in judgment. God is faithful to warn us of the consequences of spiritual drift. He's very faithful. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 even says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Now I want to tell you, again, salvation is not of you. It's of God. He doesn't need you, but He has you. He bought you. He will keep you. But I promise you, He will work you. Because everyone He loves, He chastens. Because He loves you. In Deuteronomy 4, 25 and 29, they were warned of what would happen if they gave in to Canaanite worship practice because that was what Moses was giving them. Don't do it. Don't go in there and take that up. Mm-mm. In Isaiah 55, what was warned about in Deuteronomy was now upon them and God is calling them to repentance. And then in Hosea, the destruction and captivity of the northern kingdom of Israel was at hand. It happened. I have lots of thoughts about our country when I read things like this. And then I wonder about God's church and I wonder what God's going to do with that. How is he going to... I believe in biblical revival. And I believe it takes desperation. And I believe sometimes you got to hurt for that to happen. But I believe God's going to revive his church. Because as the wheels spin off our culture... It's not sustainable. They're going to be looking. And God's going to have his people ready. Desperation is defined by the Cambridge Dictionary as the feeling that you have when you are in such a bad situation that you are willing to take risks in order to change it. We call that foxhole conversion sometimes. Or being in such a bad street. Oh, Lord, if you'll save me, oh, Lord. You know, and we make deals with God. But desperation is a gift from the Lord. It truly is. When we are ready for change, we change. We do things and start things that bring or inform change. My life's a wreck. I got to start reading my Bible. (laughs) I mean, you just... Parents, live Jesus to your kids. And you say, well, they're not paying attention. Oh, yes, they are. And, And one day when they're done... When, when by the act and mercy of God they've reached the wall, because we all do, they're going to remember what was modeled to them. And they're going to know where to go. I just heard a testimony of a young man that way that it went off into a bunch of sin. And he said, finally, I decided I'd go back to church because that's what mom and dad did. Mom and dad was always at church and I hated going. And then when I got done with all my filth, I got to go to church. And now he's serving very faithfully as a pastor. We do things and start things that bring or inform change. And this only sticks when we are desperate for change. So here's the church in seeking the Lord. This is from the book you're going to be reading. David Mathis, Habits of Grace. Enjoying Jesus through the spiritual disciplines. John Piper says, Hearing the word of the cross and preaching it to ourselves is the central strategy for sinners in the fight for joy. You need the gospel to be saved. 
And you need the gospel to enjoy your salvation. Because there's never going to be a moment when you don't need extreme grace. In our sin, this is from the book, we constantly find our responses to life in our fallen world to be disconnected from the theology that we confess. Anger, fear, panic, discouragement, and impatience stalk our hearts and whisper in our ears a false gospel that will lure our lives away from what we say we believe. The battleground is between our ears. What is it that is capturing your idle thoughts is the question. And when you read that, don't just read on. Answer the question. Stop. Answer the question. What fear or frustration is filling your spare moments? Man, I need more paper. Will you just listen to yourself? Or will you start talking? And what he's saying is, no. Will you start preaching the gospel to yourself? Not letting your concerns shape you, but forming your concerns by the power of the gospel. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is a habit of grace that is both proactive and reactive. It's reactive as we encounter temptation and frustration and seek to restock in the moment or as we reflect back on our sin and circumstances and try to evaluate them with a gospel lens. But it's also proactive. We go on the offensive when when we feed our souls in some regular rhythm before the events and tasks and disappointments of daily life begin streaming our way. So stock up on things like the Lord is my strength and my shield. My ever-present help in time of need. Stock up on the fact that he knows my frame that I am but dust and through his mercies I am not consumed. Stock up on God doesn't give us a spirit of fear but of power and love and sound mind. Stock up on the fact that he will never leave me and he will never cast me off. Stock up when I'm not faithful, he remains faithful. So that when you get into it, when you're blasted, you're beat down and the devil's got his boot on your neck. You let the word fly. And you live. You may not be comfortable. You may not feel great. But you will be kept. Look at this. Acts 2, 40 and 42. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, This is Peter, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added. Notice what they did. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Do you know what those are also called? Spiritual disciplines. They continued steadfastly in them. And it says the word of God spread. 
The number of the disciples multiplied, but the word of God grew and multiplied, and the word of God and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, and the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. What's the emphasis of the spiritual discipline? The word of the Lord. Psalm 119 is nothing but about the statutes and judgments and commandments of God. We live by them. We grow by them. We have our strength in them. We know God through them. That's why he says, your word I have hidden in my heart. Why? So I can sound really smart to my Christian friends. No. So that I might not sin against you. But when you do sin, you know that other verse. I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the Spirit is the Spirit of life. And He's given me that. Breathe Scripture, bleed Scripture, feed on Scripture. That's what all the disciplines are about the Bible. J.I. Packer, and this is my last slide. The healthy Christian, and I appreciate this. JT, this is for us. The healthy Christian is not necessarily the extrovert. Okay. Not the extrovert, ebullient Christian, but the Christian who has a sense of God's presence stamped deep on his soul, who trembles at God's word, who lets it dwell in him richly by constant, notice this part, by constant meditation upon it and who tests and reforms his life daily in response to it. How long does that take? It takes the rest of your life. So, the 21 days of prayer and fasting is upon you. You will do with it as you, and, as you get before the Lord and, and you work out. I know what I got to do. I, I at least know where I got to start. It's time. So today is Corporate Prayer Sunday. And I think it's very, very, very uh, fortuitous that it starts this way. Because I think today as we pray as a congregation... We should pray that God gives us strength for this 21 days to look within ourselves, to uncover our pride, our hidden sin. I want to tell you something about hidden sin. It's not really hidden. You just ain't seeing everyone else looking at it. And the things that God is positioning us to do because he desires to pour out grace and mercy upon us. This time today, if, if you have a problem with a brother or sister that you don't feel is resolved in your soul, go to them. If you guys need to step out and go talk about it, go talk about it. If, if you feel that's the appropriate step to take, don't be foolish. Don't, but if the Spirit should lead, just remember, you can do that. If you desire to come and Drag your debris of the year to the altar. Come drag it up here. Whatever you need to do now to start 
clean. Let's do it.